Welcome to Obsessed Show, a podcast that is designed to inspire, featuring some of the most creative people in the world. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Hey guys, today on Obsessed Show, I'm chatting with Haraldur Thorlifsson. He's the founder and creative director of Weno. Holly founded this agency as a one-man design operation out of his Reykjavik apartment in 2014. Wino has more than 60 full-time employees, offices in Reykjavik, San Francisco, New York, and Los Angeles. Wino's clients include Airbnb, Apple, Chubb, Cisco, Dropbox, Facebook. Uh, basically, if you're cool and tech, he's probably done some work for you. Holly's won several industry awards, including numerous Webby's, IWA's Best Website Design of the Year, Communication Arts, Site of the Week, and multiple awards. You know, that one with all the W's. I never know how to say that one. He's been nominated as a Designer of the Year as well as Developer of the Year by awards. Welcome to Season 4 of Obsessed Show. You'll note that we are no longer calling it Obsessed with Design. This season will still be chatting with designers from branding, illustration, architecture, and design thinking, but we'll also be talking to other makers and creatives along the way. In fact, when we started the show, the plan all along was to broaden out and talk to other guests eventually, which was part of why our website and Twitter handle and Instagram are all Obsessed Show. If you're into what we're doing here, you might also want to check out my personal branding and marketing tips called 59 Second Friday. That's over at youtube.com slash Josh Miles. That's enough about season four. Let's talk about today's episode. This week's episode doesn't have the cleanest audio recording ever for some reason, but I promise there are a lot of great nuggets in there, so I hope you'll stick with it. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Holly Thorlifson. Holly, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Well, thank you so much, Josh. How's it going? Going well. Hopefully I didn't completely butcher your name, but I promised to make at least one good run at the full thing. So <laughs> I, was, I was really close. Really uh, close. I'll take that. Yeah. One of the better ones I've heard here in the States. I, I took a little bit of German in high school. So it, uh, there, there's, yeah. there's some, some brain cells firing back there poorly, but it it's still fine. It paid off. It paid <laughs> off for sure. All that time was, was worth it just for that one moment. Excellent. My, my one shining moment. Um, you know, one of the things that I really love hearing from designers on this show is kind of how you found your way into this industry. I mean, so many uh, people we talked to grew up drawing or had, you know, creative parents or inspiration. I'm, I'm just kind of curious what your origin story looks like. I don't, yes, I don't think I have a, a very typical origin story. My um, a fair amount of people in my family on both sides are are creative. My mom was a costume designer, worked in theaters, uh, was drawing a lot. There were, she was sewing at home and, and making things all the time. But I wasn't really interested in anything like that. And I, uh, I as a kid, I I never got into drawing. I I'm still not a good at drawing. Um, by by hand and uh, so it was something that i never thought about as a, as a career for the first 20 or more years of my life um i 
after I, I finished high school, I, I, I needed to go study something. So I went into uh, engineering. I wanted to be a constructional uh, engineer, build buildings. And then I realized fairly quickly on that was not what I wanted to do. The, uh, I was um, there for three days and, and said, no, that's not <laughs> it. And then um, I, because I needed to do something, a friend of mine had started philosophy, so I went to do that for a year. And then I uh, thought I would have to do something more practical, so I went to study finance. Um, and second year of finance, I, I started, um, there was a, a class that we had to take, it's, it's an IT class, it was probably 98 or something. So very, fairly early days of internet, but we had to make our own website. Um, simple, very simple HTML site. It was um, something we had to make for, um, for, it's an assignment. It was probably like a one, two hour assignment. Yeah, and what started, year would this have been? This would have been 98. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, so uh, everything was very rough. So I, I did that uh, project and I, I just really, there was something about it that made me interested. I could make something on my computer, I could put it out into the world and it would be there. And it would be uh, accessible to anyone and I could edit it and play with it, and do whatever I want with, wanted with it. Um, and I thought that was fairly magical. So. From there, I started doing more and more that type of work. I wasn't, I didn't think of myself as a designer. I was, uh, I was more interested in the, the publishing part of it. Um, but I started making uh, websites for myself and then for other people, and starting um, to flash very, very, very early on. Oh yeah, good old flash. <laughs> that, that was just fantastic because I could do anything. Um, and I'm, I'm still not a, a good developer, uh, but I, I definitely, in Flash, I could find a way to do anything. Yeah. So that was just uh, a blast for a while, and I did that for a long time. I did mostly, um, at that point, did mostly uh, animation work um, for, for different types of people. Then I was working with different designers and I didn't really feel like I was getting what I wanted for them or it took too much time to get what I wanted. So I started to design as well. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, so that's how I started. That's really cool. I had such a, such a similar arc with the whole, um, you know, I, I had grown up drawing, but I was at a very technical school and I took one class in HTML and I, I dropped the class after the first day and I kept the book <laughs> and taught myself HTML uh, in late 1998. So very, very similar okay. time frame. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of got into the flash thing as well. And, uh, you know, made a whole bunch of websites that I probably should have never made, but <laughs> we don't talk about those flash websites too much. I, I, I really wish I had all that early stuff. I don't have it anymore and it's gone forever. Uh, the Internet Archive didn't catch catch it. Oh right, yeah, the way the good old Wayback Machine, uh, yeah. not so good with the Flash. Um, so I'm curious, you know, I'm sure your your career looks a little bit different today than it did back in your days of doing Flash websites. What is 
like an average workday work week for you you've got a lot of these huge clients that your your agency is doing work for of course you're I'm sure not working on all of them but but what what's a normal week or day look like for you if there is such a thing um, I I'm I'm still well I'm the CEO of the company as well so that obviously takes up a lot of uh, a lot of time dealing with um, people in, in various states and I've um, I've done less sort of hands-on design work as a result of that but also because I felt I had done so much of it that I was getting a little bit tired so a few years ago I, I started to <clears throat> do less and less but I still have usually about two client projects going and then um, sort of my passion project internally is I own the our brand um, mm. and, and we do a lot of um, all sorts of brand initiatives um, on, on the web or um, in physical spaces so um, my day is I try and have about 12 hours set aside for meetings every week um, I had about 40 hours a week when uh, I was at my busiest so two years ago I was doing 40 hours of meetings a week and it was obviously draining but also meant that I couldn't really do any uh, thinking or, uh, or or really get deep into anything so I started to delegate a lot more found uh, a lot of smart people that came in and, and took on a lot of the different responsibilities um, so I'm doing about 12 hours of meeting uh, a week usually that creeps up a little bit but they're they're all boxed in so I do about four hours Monday Tuesday and, and Thursday, leaving most of Wednesday and Friday off so mm. I can do uh, hands-on design work or in many cases non-design work but, but hands-on work as a, uh, as a CEO. Cool. I like that. I had a, um, a co-worker once asked me which meetings I wanted to be in and I, I told her none of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's great to minimize or especially to time box your meetings that they're only on certain days and they're all kind of together. And um, I, yeah. it's always less stressful when you're not switching hats all day. It, it definitely helps. I do think meetings for what it's worth are very important. Um, that's where a lot of the, the important decisions are made that, that help you uh, facilitate the hands-on work. Um, mm -hmm. The hands-on stuff is more gratifying, at least for me, but um, if you don't do the, the foundation right, if you don't talk through all, all these things um, in the right way, then the, the hands-on work becomes meaningless. So I don't think there's a world where uh, someone that's creating something in a collaboration can ever have zero meetings. Yeah, you can't just do that, uh, that whole build it in a vacuum thing. I think no. especially when you can have those conversations early in the process, you're not, you're not showing up at the end and going, Oh, I wish you would have thought of this, but you know, really talking yeah. about all the options early on. Yeah. I think more as, a, and I think most of most designers go through this, the more um, the time you spend in this career, you realize that the, uh, the design really happens before you ever get to a computer. That's mm -hmm. where everything happens once you open up the uh, whatever program you use to use uh, that's just about the execution about of it and then um, those 
Um, if you do that in a vacuum, like you said, that's just, it's just fluff. It's, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So one of the things that I found, I was doing a little um, cyber stalking on you before our chat, and uh, I saw that Dribble played a large part in kind of your professional rise. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? I yes, for sure. I so after I um, I, I finished uh, university, I, I finished both uh, philosophy and then finance. I I wanted to be a, I wanted to have a real job, so I went to study uh, masters in economics. Stopped doing design, and I thought because I was using design as a way to sort of maintain myself. Um, but that didn't really stick either. So I came, I always came back to design, but um, the point is it was always something that I, um, I never took it really seriously as a, as a job or as a career or a profession. Uh, and for the longest time I treated it that way. Um, but then about maybe eight years ago, I, I finally decided to really, I was going to be a designer. I had been, um, I, I was a pretty bad drinker for a while. I, I sort of was pretty much drunk for five years. And then uh, once I stopped doing that, I uh, um, got married, we had a kid, and I thought, well, I'm gonna have to do, sort of take some responsibility for my life and where I wanna go. Um, and once I did that, I started thinking about all the ways that I could um, um, step up my career and my uh, my presence was one of them. So uh, I've been doing a fair amount of good work, but I wasn't really thinking about promoting it anyway because the work kept coming in and I didn't really um, think I really needed it. Um, I But I did decide one year that I was going to open up a Dribble profile. I asked a few of my friends, what, what should I do? Dribble was not... Uh, totally new but fairly new it wasn't like this the huge platform that it is today mm -hmm. um, but i asked us a few of my design friends where's everyone going um a few of them said dribble i looked at that and it seemed like it would be less work than behance um because behance has this huge <laughs> uh, case study model and it was just too that felt daunting too many um, words <laughs> yeah and and i thought well i can I can just do these sort of as I'm working and do these quick shots um, for dribble. And um, I decided I set myself a goal to reach a certain uh, to post uh, at a certain time every day or three times a week, I think, um, for the full year. And it it really helped me um, in the in the sense that it just uh, I got a lot more attention. I got a lot more projects and after I did that for a few years and it, it really got me to a place where I felt um, obviously with a lot of other things working at the same time, but um, I got to a place where I had enough incoming work that I could, uh, I felt like I could start to hire people. What kinds of things did you find that you were posting when you were getting the the best traction was it you know little details of things or the animations or wide shots or finished work like what or all of that i think dribble is in many ways fantastic um so i just want to say that first 
but it's also quite horrible. Uh, I think um, a lot of the, the wrong types of, of work get attention on Dribble. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and again, I kind of want to go back to this. It's a fantastic place, but it also uh, it is very much um, the fact that the shiny things get the most attention. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't necessarily have to make sense. They don't necessarily have to be real. They don't necessarily have to uh, be something that's actually going to get published or um, have been thought through in, in any type of context or solving any type of problem. Um, and I did definitely do some of that in the beginning where I saw, okay, this was working better than the other things, but I, mm-hmm. I, did, I stopped doing that um, because this made, made me doubt my, myself as a person <laughs> if I was just doing things for publicity. Um, and if I, uh, I didn't believe in the things that I was putting out, if it was just to get um, likes. So I, I sort of quickly stopped doing that. And um, pretty much everything I've, I've put out on Dribble for the last seven years have been, or I will say everything, have, has been real work that's been created for a, uh, and with a client to solve some sort of a problem. Um, and obviously, hopefully, it looks good as well. Yeah, that's cool. Well, what is it that you feel like um, makes a good client for you and your agency? What are what are some of those things that you're looking for that that makes a good fit? I, I think uh, a good client is in many ways just like any other type of relationship. It has to have all the same things. So you need to have trust. You need to have mutual respect. You need to have uh, a common understanding. You need to have a, uh, uh, a vocabulary that you can agree on. Um, you need to have um, you know, all these types of things that just make uh, any other type of human relationship work is what makes a good client relationship work. Um, and so when we, when we talk to, to potential clients, we have a, a core set of values that we go through with our clients. And the ones that uh, resonate that, but with that the most are typically the clients that um, will work out the best for us. We're really looking for people that are interested in a long-term relationship, that are li- looking for something that is it's not just a quick hit, but um, is very strategic, is foundational, is important to their business. And they understand that something like that will take time. It will take time for all of us to get to know each other, to understand each other um, before we can get to um, the fluffy parts, the, the, <laughs> the, the output of it. Right. Have you ever um, had an initial client relationship where you felt like the values and everything lined up really well and then it still kind of went sideways anyhow? People are, uh, people are the worst kind of people. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you never know and um, it's, it's not, um, you never know really how something's going to go out when we, when we start a new client relationship, we're 
you know, both going into it with some information, but always mostly blind. Mm-hmm. We have had a few conversations. We've, we know sort of what's, know each other hopefully well enough to say, okay, let's, let's jump into this, but it's not a perfect science. You never, um, you can never tell perfectly how things go. It's definitely something that we've improved a lot on. I've gotten better at identifying. And I wouldn't say that they're necessarily bad clients. It's just that they, they maybe we weren't the right fit for some people uh, because of our working style or for wh- whatever reason. So I think it's mo- more about just finding people that want to uh, that fit each other. Mm-hmm. It's pretty similar to pretty similar to dating. It's mm-hmm. now that the two pe- two people that broke up are um, are not going to work out, but they might just need to be dating some other people. Are there any um, red flags in particular that stand out to you? Like you've been potentially a good client for somebody else, but for you, that what are those red flags? I think um, <clears throat> when people are very, very rushed, I understand timing mm-hmm. is important. I understand that people have deadlines. Um, when, when, when I hear, um, or when I hear people sort of get going straight through uh, skipping all the strategy parts, skipping all the, the foundational part, just want to go straight to just show me something. Mm-hmm. And that's one, that's one of the red flags of um, they probably uh, are not going to be a good client for us because the way we work is much more foundational in the beginning. Um, and if we go straight to creating something visually pleasing, probably, uh, hopefully, then um, it's just not going to solve the real problem. It's not going to have any sustained effect. It's not going to be part of any kind of strategy. So those types of clients are usually better served by a more executional partner. So you guys have worked for some pretty amazing clients um, already, which is um, you know, phenomenal between Uber and Facebook and Google. And, um, but you were telling me a little bit at the top of the show about um, your work for Reuters. Um, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit of that story. For sure. It's, 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 it was, it's been one of the, the, uh, the best relationships I've ever had um, with a client because um, as I was starting the agency, I had been working with, a few clients and one of them um, uh, now a friend of mine Isaac he went from um, the economist where we worked together and he was a um, yeah and I was a freelancer sorry and he went to uh, Reuters and to head up a new department that was built up around the idea of creating um, consumer products and in the beginning video-based consumer products for Reuters, which is Mm -hmm. historically much more of a a B2B company. They sell their stories to other news outlets that then uh, pair them and create them for for their viewers. But Reuters doesn't have or hasn't had a a huge consumer-facing product. Um, And he reached out to me. It was sort of when I was thinking about starting an agency. So blurry lines of whether I was a freelancer or this was an agency in the beginning, mm-hmm. but he definitely, uh, he came to me, he had just been hired. It was just the two of us working. He was the VP of this thing. 
um, and he just wanted to get uh, a vision out, something that could help uh, sell this idea internally at Reuters. So we started off with creating a, um, a couple of prototypes. And over the course of I think a year, we built and launched the original, what became Reuters TV. This was about four years ago. Um, and then that product really took off. Um, it hit it hit a nerve for people and it, it sort of um, just spiked. So we started to work on um, obviously continuing the evolution of, of that product, but also um, taking it to other mediums. So we, we lost all in all, I think almost 10 different platforms for that product. Um, and then because of the success of uh, Reuters TV, he was then tasked with taking over the full um, uh, Reuters.com platform, which is you know, one of the most visited sites in the world. And we uh, approached that project sort of in a similar way. We started with vision work. We started to create something that we believed in could work for a, a different kind of, of news consumption. Um, and then we, we worked on that for at least a year before we launched and, and then continued to iterate on um, a new Reuters.com and a new master uh, flagship app for, for their news outlet. Um, and it's, uh, it was just a fantastic project and a fantastic client. So you guys have um, worked on a lot of projects that, that many, especially website and UI UX designers would consider dream projects. Um, but I'm curious if you have any, um, any dream projects that you've not done yet that you're, you're excited to do in the future. Um, not projects necessarily, but there are definitely cl uh, clients that I've always uh, wanted to work with. And the one that always comes to mind for me is Lego because um, I think just the Lego brand is so fantastic. Um, they've built um, they've built on this original brick idea for I don't know how many decades now. Uh, the, the bricks that I have since I was a, was a kid still work with my kids' bricks today. Um, there's um, the DNA of the company is about creating something new, and it's about creating uh, you know for kids to take on. Um, these little bricks and just create whatever they want out of them. And I just think that's really magical. And I, and then it's just over the years, it's evolved. Uh, I went a couple of weeks weekends ago with my daughter to see the new Lego movie. Um, she's, we also saw the Ninjago movie. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Lego fan. Um, and, and there are definitely, um, you know, there's other clients for sure, but, uh, Lego is, is sort of my, um, my dream client. Yeah, um, my kids are big fans of the movies too, but I might be a bigger fan. <laughs> yeah, I really, I mean, I don't know if you saw the latest one, but I really thought it was great. Yeah, it was great. Lego Batman, all, all the Lego movies. <laughs> Lego, Lego Batman is just one of the best characters um, ever created. <laughs> oh man, I'm going to resist the urge to quote any of it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would try and try and do the voice, but it's going to fail. So <laughs> maybe next time. Yeah. Um, so so maybe maybe Legos is your answer, but um, you know many designers that I talk to. In fact, I ask everyone who's on the show the same question. 
um, you know, they're, they're obsessed with many things frequently as designers. So I'm curious what you find you're most obsessed with right now. Yeah, I, I think Lego is going to be my question to answer again, <laughs> just because it's been my fascination uh, for, I mean, I'm 41, uh, for about you know, 36 years. Um, and it's it doesn't go away. I still, anytime I see a Lego brick, I'm just like, wow, this could, this could be anything. Yeah. Um, and um, playing with my kids with Legos now is it's a lot of fun. Um, so it's, yeah, if, if anything in my life is an obsession, it's definitely Legos because it's, it's sustained. There's other things that pop up now and then, but, um, I really like, uh, the idea of something lasting that long and still being meaningful and still being playful and still having, um, something that I can relate to. What do you find, um, you know, with all your roles between designer and CEO, um, what's kind of your favorite thing to do or the thing at work that gives you the most energy right now? One of my favorite, or definitely my favorite thing in, in this job and in my role is, um, so my, my job is really, if you think about it, it's basically just designing a company. Um, and that's a very, very hard thing to do because it involves a lot of people uh, and people are tough. Um, and it, it, it involves, especially at a company like ours, a lot of creative people, people with ideas, people that um, are motivated by, by different things. Um, and then my job is to try and create some kind of a structure um, to allow those people to do fantastic work. Mm-hmm. And so the most satisfying thing for me is um, when I come into a meeting or do a presentation or whatever, and I've never seen that project before. I wasn't involved in it at all. I didn't know it was happening, and it's turned out fantastic. Um, that's extremely satisfying. Yeah, I, I don't I've shared that it's uh, I think that's the craziest coolest thing when you've set up a team properly and they're doing great work without you even having to to worry about it yeah that's just uh, the best and I want you know that's happening more and more every day and that's that's uh, my favorite not that I'm particularly lazy but that's what I want to do is 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 try and create a company where other people succeed um so maybe you're already answering this question but i was going to ask you what your proudest professional moment was um i don't know if it's a moment uh, but it is those types of moments are definitely Mm -hmm. um, a lot of fun and it's not just for the process we work on uh for clients but also um anything else so when we have a meeting uh, we have, for example, a leadership meeting, um, and I see the passion that people have um, for whatever it is they're talking about, um, and that is happening completely outside of me, completely not because I did or said anything, but because uh, those people are just invested, are are feeling uh, hopefully empowered enough to 
to tackle something and to disagree on something and to try and find solutions to different types of problems. Um, and that's when I really just sort of have usually a little bit of a, a moment for myself and think, wow, this is pretty cool. These people are here because, you know, originally I hired them, but now they're, you know, they're doing these things um, on their own. And it's just, I don't know, it's, compared with having kids I think um, you know, when you start to see your your kids not that these people were kids when they came in they all came in very <laughs> qualified uh, so this analogy is going to fail but um, just when you see though you know those kids doing something completely on your own and you're just like wow this is, this is fantastic so you have a fairly distributed team too with 70 people all around the world um, how do you think, or what have been some of the most successful ways for you to kind of connect that distributed team culturally from, you know, they're not all in the same room together? We've, I mean, I think it's always a struggle for any company. We have uh, three main offices, the biggest offices uh, in Iceland, in New York, and in San Francisco. And, um, there's always going to be a, um, a special connection within each office. That that group of people is always going to be, the, you know, fairly close, uh, closer mm-hmm. than other people. Um, but we've put a lot of work, a lot of effort into trying to create some universal DNA into the company. Um, like I said, we have uh, a core set of values that we go through um, on a regular basis. That's how we try and hire. That's how we evaluate. Uh, success of the company and um, that's sort of the foundation but then we have a weekly all hands where people um, share different things we have um, obviously global slack channels where people have cross office uh, discussions we have um, once a year we have uh, a retreat for uh, a week or sometimes a little longer when everyone gets together in one place and, and works together and then goes and, and does something else together. Mm, cool. Um, uh, we have um, something we call a creepy cam. We have a, a video camera in each office um, and then an <laughs> iPad on the wall so you can always sort of take a look and see what's happening in that office. And it's just a lot of small things like that where um, people come obviously to work at out of different offices. We've uh, encourage people from one office uh, to move to another location. So uh, just last year, I think four or five of our people, or six of our people moved from either Iceland or um, San Francisco over to our New York office. Um, and uh, people have moved from Iceland to, to, uh, to San Francisco and uh, from here to Iceland. And so it's just, all these things hopefully start to add up. So you start to feel that thread, that, that, that DNA, that there's a connection for people, even though they're not in the same physical space all the time. I'm curious, especially with your diverse background between engineering and economics and philosophy, um, if you have uh, any design heroes, especially folks that you looked up to early on in your profession, having kind of not come from that, from that world originally. Um, so you sent me that question and, um, in advance and I, I thought about it and I said, 
but no, there's nobody, and that's not, not just for design, but I think in general, I don't really believe in, uh, in heroes in that way. Like, people are way too flawed to, uh, there's obviously definitely, definitely uh, aspects of, of some people that I, I admire, but having, um, no, there's no one person um, that I think that highly of. Hmm, that's a good answer. Everyone is too flawed, uh, and obviously including me. So if, uh, if you had to give up design tomorrow, would you go back to one of those other careers, or what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I did. So I've, I've tried, like I said before, I've tried to quit design a few times. One of the things that I did, one of the times when I quit, I, I went to study uh, um, development, developmental economics. So it's basically about um, how do we um, how do we speed up um, development in in parts of the world where uh, that are um, that have had less growth, where there's more poverty, um, and and so on. So those that's definitely an area that I would um, probably go back to if, if I stop doing what I'm doing. What do you find is either your favorite piece of advice that you've received or maybe your favorite piece of advice to pass along to uh, new employees? <clears throat> um, I would say ask more questions. That's, that's always a good one, I think. Um, people don't ask enough questions. What do you think is um, the, the best question to go deeper? Um, we have a question. So uh, we do a chatty hours um, uh, every month in each of our offices. And a chatty hour is basically someone, me or, or, or someone else in a different office that uh, interviews um, a person that's in whatever way we find uh, we qualify them as being doing interesting things. Uh, and one of my favorite questions to ask those people is um, I usually start by asking them what they do, and you know they they sort of walk me through everything. Um, and then I ask them uh, if you found out you were dying in five years would you still do the same thing? Mm. Um, and I think it's really helpful for people to, to think that way because um, they're probably not dying, but they might be dying in five years and they definitely will die at some point. So it's kind of, um, uh, I think people should live their way. I think there's like, the reason I say five years is because if everyone lives for today, most people will just go get drunk. Um, <laughs> but if you if you frame it in a slightly longer time frame, but still not that long, um, then I think um, a lot of people are are spending their lives in ways that, um, when they look back, they might regret it. And that's uh, that that would be the worst feeling. Uh, worst mistake that anyone can make is spending the, the limited time that they have doing something they don't want to be doing. 
That's good stuff. Um, I'm curious um, where you find that you go most frequently for inspiration or to kind of shake off the cobwebs. Um, so back in, uh, back in the old days, it would be um, mostly on design platforms like Dribbble or Behance or award websites. But right now, um, because a lot of the work we do is a lot, is, is a lot more foundational and a lot deeper, the, the inspiration can really come from anywhere because um, you, you might be working with, um, let's say Facebook on some sort of uh, problems trying to solve a, a fundamental issue that they have. Um, and you're not going to go and dribble and see the best, uh, best design button in the world and say, aha, this is it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's going to come from you, um, you know, reading, uh, all sorts of types of different books, blogs, uh, just understanding the world better, understanding people better. Um, so that's where I go to now. It's, it's usually not more deep rooted in, in something that I'm, thinking about or something that I care about um, than that uh, design inspiration. Well, Holly, it's been a blast chatting with you today and learning more about Bueno. Um, before I let you go, where can people learn more about you or track you guys down online? Um, everyone can go to bueno.co. Um, that's where you can find that's our website ueno.co that's where you can find pretty much anything you want um we also just uh today launched actually a, a conference that we're uh that i'd love to plug oh yeah uh, so if you go to ueno.land u-e-n-o.l-e-l-a-n-d uh, -E uh that's where you can find all about that it's a it's a conference that we're putting on in in Williamsburg in early May this year is the first time we're doing this and we're trying to find a way to bring together all sorts of uh, people that are creating things. So authors, uh, comedians, rappers, people that make uh, different types of, of objects or things or whatever it is that they put out in the world and putting them all together and seeing if um, I have this theory that um, any type of creative work is ultimately the same. And I want to see if, um, if, if that's true. I want to see if all these different people that have these different ideas, different ways of working, uh, have some core things that they always go back to that are, uh, are what drive them. And then that the, the medium that they decide to work in or happen to work in is, is kind of just uh, accidental. It's not, it, it's not that, that's the only way that they can express themselves. It's just how they learn to express themselves. And um, I think we can, we can get to that if we can find a way to, um, to take the knowledge we have from one type of creative work to another type of creative work. Um, I think we can create a, a better world. That's awesome. That's a, uh, it's a little bit of the thesis of, uh, of obsessed show, you know, our, our URL is obsessedshow.com, even though we say obsessed with design, someday we may drop that design world word. It's just because I think it'd be cool to kind of bring in even more stories than just, you know, graphic yeah. designers and engineers and architects and 
those types I, I of love, designers. I, I love reading, uh, meeting, or talking to people that are obsessed uh, with anything, with you know, a chef that just keeps chefing. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and um, I think there's just a common thread. And there's, again, there's usually just some random reason why they went into something like me in that course that I took. Um, for other people, it can be different things. Um, and I think people are often too narrow in their approach, uh, even creative people. And I think if we can uh, open our eyes a little bit, we can start to see that we can do a lot more than we think we can. Love it. Holly, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for chatting today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Thank you so much. Okay, kids, that's show number 112 officially in the books. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Holly Thorlifson. As we expand our topics here at Obsessed Show, please tweet at Obsessed Show and let me know who else you think we should talk to. Do you want to hear from video people, from authors, from painters? What kind of creators and creatives and makers are most interesting to you? Because that's who I want to interview on this show. Don't forget to check out that new 59 Second Friday series all about personal branding and marketing on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash Josh Miles. And it would mean a lot to me if you just hit that subscribe button. Every subscriber means a lot. You can get all of today's show notes on our website, still at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Of course, all the links are over at obsessedshow.com to all the places you can find this show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed Show from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com. The Obsessed Show finally slept through the night. Ed Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Visit milesherndon.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And let me know what you think of the new music. Hope you dig it.